Let's go ahead and look. Psalm chapter 37. We're going to read uh, quite a few verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to jump around a little bit. So follow along with me if you could. It says in verse number 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Verse number 25. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. I believe that one of the most disgusting and the most disheartening things that is in the uh, life or circumstances of, of the believer is when wickedness, wickedness goes unpunished or seems to go unpunished. And I'm not referring to the brief uh, you know, the brief amount of wickedness where somebody goes out and does something uh, stupid. Everybody makes mistakes, and, and maybe they get away with something one time. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to lifelong wickedness and, and lifelong acts of evil that we see going on in our society today that go unpunished, as if justice doesn't exist. And I'm not referring to our justice system that we have. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about why doesn't God not judge these things? And it's disheartening to see why can evil just continue to reign and nothing seems to happen. Nothing seems to be done. Government. It doesn't take a PhD to figure out that there's some major corruption in our government. This is not a political message by any means, but it fits right this passage. I, keep, I don't think anybody can read what we just read and not think, especially what's happened in latter days, think that there's not corruption in our government. I'm not here to name names and per se point fingers. I think we can figure out all those things on our own simply by taking the word of God and figuring out what's right and what's wrong. And you can see what I'm getting at. And the government corruption is out of control. It is absolutely 100% out of control. And it doesn't take anybody, people that deny that it's not there, they're in denial. It's the only way to put it. Willful, they're like the ostrich sticking his head in the sand. It's there. 
There's some other things I'm going to list as well. But it seems like week after week, I hear about some big breakthrough and some big discovery, some big political scandal somewhere that gets rises up to the top. And we think to ourselves, okay, yes, finally, justice is going to be served. This is it. We're going to see action actually take place. There's going to be people that go behind bars, that deserve to go behind bars. We're going to see some of these folks that we see on the, on the TV go in handcuffs, get put in the back of the cruiser, the anvil, the hammer is going to drop and they're going to be declared guilty and they're going to go away for a long time. And us Christians who rejoice in righteousness are going to be happy that justice has prevailed. But I don't see that. I'm not sure about you, but I, I don't see it. Every time one of those stories comes up now, I actually, I lose hope. I mean, I, I don't even believe, oh, they got him. They got this guy, or they got this girl. Oh, it's, it's, the evidence is right there. It's right in front of our eyes. It's undeniable. The public, the average public person knows about it. And yes, this is the time. This is what, and I think, no, it's not going to happen. That's, that's where we are in our society and in our government. Somehow that the people up at the top who are doing wicked, evil atrocities, not just to man, but to God, and they're getting away with it. And I think, how can God possibly let this go on? Why does not justice simply prevail? As if those folks in there somehow that they are above the law and the average citizen who's just trying to do right, trying to raise a family, trying to live peaceably with other folks is not seeing the same type of service as those people up in power. How does that happen? How does that happen? Why does it happen? Why does God allow it to go on? The government's not the only place, by the way. We see this in the life of celebrities who their lives totally disregard the God in heaven, the person who made them, who gave them their abilities to either act, to sing, to you name it. But their life, their, their life's goal is completely opposite of what God would want for them. But somehow their lives just continue to keep going on as normal. Why does this happen? It bothers my spirit. I believe like Lot, he was vexed. He was vexed. It bothered his spirit. And believe me, it bothers my spirit as well that righteousness doesn't seem to always prevail. It's not only in celebrities. It's not only in that top group of people, politicians and celebrities. It's also at our workplaces. Evil prevails. The guy who's lazy, who has no character, who shows up late, who doesn't do his best, he's the guy that gets the promotion. And those of us maybe who are trying to do the right thing, trying to not do it as unto men, but we're trying to do our job as unto God, we don't get our rightful position. How does that happen? When I was in, I may have told you this story before, when I was in college, I worked at a, a little car wash. It was a car detailing place, similar to Bonita Bubbles across uh, the street here on 41. And where you wanted to be was you wanted to be out in the front 
detailing the cars. When they would come by, you'd dry them off, and you would get inside there, and you would, uh, you know, you would armor all, all the dash so it looks nice and shiny, get all the dust off it, just make it look great. But the reason you wanted that job was because people would come out, and you wouldn't just get your hourly wage. You would go ahead and get tips. And the tips about doubled what you were making, so your salary essentially doubled for that day. It was, it was great. So about once a week, we would rotate different positions, and one day throughout the week, you would have to go and be the guy that's actually in the right before the automatic car wash. He would have a big 55-gallon bucket and some soap and some water and a big scrub brush, and it was your day to pre-scrub the cars and get all the bugs that have been smashed on there and get the dragonflies off, and it was your day to sit there and, and scrub all that off and to go and vacuum the cars. And then they would go through because, of course, those automatic car washes, they never really work that good. And that's all fine and dandy. But that day you would not get any tips, any money. So I'm just a Bible college student trying to make enough money to go to school and stay in school. And so you didn't want to be in the back. You did not want to be in the back. But these other people that I was, I was working with, they were not good people. I mean, on their lunch break, they would go up. There was a top of a little hill there. They would go, and they would buy drugs during their lunch break. Not good people. When it was their turn to scrub the cars down their day throughout the week, they would not do a good job. They would just do mediocre at best. The cars would go through and they would still be dirty when they got to the other side. So what would happen? The cars would have to come back through and do a second turn. But when Chris Barrows was there, not because I had some special car washing ability, because I don't. It was just a little bit of hard work, doing the right thing. That's about it. Anybody could do it. But when they went through after my, it was perfect the first time. Why? Because I was not doing it for men. I was doing it unto God and trying to be a testimony for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But instead of taking one day and, of course, getting the other six days or five days, I should say, to work up in the front and get tips, no, they started sticking Chris back there double time, triple time. How does that happen? The guy who does the best job gets the worst job. <laughs> That's what happens. Why does evilness and wickedness prevail? Why in the world does that happen? Can you be encouraged about anything tonight? Verse 2 says, For they soon shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. For just a moment in time, a moment in history, the wicked people and the evildoers are on top. But it is just for a very brief short amount of time. Green grows the grass, but quick comes the sigh. It's quick, it's fast, and it's over. But not for Bible-believing Christians. This is just temporary. This is not our home. We're just passing through. The destruction of the ungodly, it's quick, it's sure, it's inevitable. Just as inevitable it is for the Bible-believing Christian to spend eternity with Christ, their destruction is inevitable as well. It's going to happen. The beauty of the herb dries up in the sun, just like the glory of the wicked disappears in the hour of death. That's a Charles Spurgeon quote. 
the beauty of the herb dries up in the sun, just like the glory of the wicked disappears in the hour of his death. Think about all the famous movie stars, celebrities, politicians, you name it, you fill in the blank, who had the life here on earth but had no regard for the things of God. Their life at the time seemed so desirable, seemed something that everybody would want. But in a moment's notice, their life was taken, and their fame, their success, their fortune does not seem something to be desired anymore. So how can we, as Bible-believing Christians, find comfort in all the chaos that's in the world today? Let's look at a few verses, starting in verse number three, and we're going to see six things. I'm going to pick out six truths from this passage to see how we can find comfort during the chaos. The first one is trust in verse number three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Faith cures fretting and cures worry. Trusting in the Lord and doing good, those things go together. They're not separate. They go 100% together. Faith is actively obedient. If, if somebody was to say, I have faith that this chair is going to hold me up, but they never sit down in it, we would say they had no faith. If a person says, I have faith that I trust God, but then their life shows that they absolutely didn't do, they didn't trust God, we would say they, they had no faith. Abraham is a great example. Some people, they get a little confused about the book of James and how James writes, thinking that works, uh, it takes works to be saved, but that's not at all the case that actually happens. It says in uh, James, that Abra James that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It says, verse number 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Verse 24 says, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It goes back to a verse, I believe it's uh, Acts 20, 21. Um, Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is the action of turning, turning from philosophy that we used to have that was contrary to God. That's what repentance is, but the faith is, of course, believing that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and rose again. But the repentance is the actual turning away from it. So, so trusting in God and doing good, those things go 100% hand in hand. And by the way, doing good is a great remedy for fretting and for worrying. When you're worried about everything that's going on in the country, with loved ones around you, with people that you know, get involved in doing something good. The happiest people I know are the people that are out there doing something for God, that are sold out for God. Number two, we don't only want to trust, but we also want to delight. Verse four, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Delight in the Lord. Our delight is what we spend our time, our energy, our money, and our thoughts on. That is what we delight in, the things that that bring us joy, that bring us happiness. Sadly, this verse here is one of the most misused verses in the entire Bible. I think maybe sometime I'd love to do a study, maybe in Sunday school or something, over uh, the most misused verses in the Bible, because there's a bunch of them that get misused. Well, this is one of them. 
Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of our heart. This verse tends to be twisted and used by people who believe in the health and wealth gospel, that if I just give God my life, that he is going to give me whatever I want. So I want a new truck. I want a new boat. I want a new vacation home. You know what? If I just give God a little service and I delight in him, He's going to give me the desires of my heart. But that is not the way that that verse works. Let's think about this. My wife, when I delight in my wife, when I delight in her, I like doing things that she she does. I'll explain. Because I love my wife and I delight in who she is, I don't mind going to that restaurant. I would never walk in the door had she not been with me because she enjoys it. So my desires become her desires because I delight in her. With my two little boys, uh, I delight in my two children. And my third boy on the way, I hope. Not sure yet, but I'm pretty confident. I delight in my two boys. And so I, I spend time with them. And I do things that I normally would not do. And that I told myself before we had children that I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to have toys all over the living room. Guess what? I got toys all over the living room. Why? Because I delight in my children and it makes them happy. So I say, oh, yes, I'll, yes, play with your toys, make a mess, but clean it up after you get done. Because I delight in my children, I don't mind going to the park on my day off and spending a couple hours playing with them when normally I'd want to be out fishing or doing some golf or playing sports or just relaxing at the house, but because I delight in them, I'm interested in what they're interested in. And my desires become their desires. And when we delight in the Lord, our desires somehow supernaturally become his desires as well. Really amazing. And so when we start delighting, what do I mean by delighting in the Lord? I mean pondering and thinking about what he has forgiven you thinking about how blessed we are that we have the word of God. Wow, that's delighting. When you go and you spend some time in prayer and opening up God's word, taking maybe a call to glory, opening up and reading, you are delighting in the Lord. Hey, when you go and you thank God for your food that's before you, you are delighting in the Lord. And as we go and we, as we delight in the Lord, our desires over time align perfectly with his desires. John Bunyan, he said this, the desires of God and the desires of the righteous agree in one. They are one mind in their desires. And when we desire, of course, in the Lord, we get, I mean, when we delight in the Lord, in our, uh, des- our, our, um, when we delight and our eyes are fixated on his goodness, mercy, sacrifice, forgiveness, you name it, we begin to want the things of the Spirit that He wants for us as well. So what are some things that God desires? What are some things? Anybody got anything that God desires? Souls to be saved. You know what? I think if you're delighting in the Lord, I think He'll lead some souls by you. And that'll be your desire. Yes. Holiness. Absolutely. Your desire is going to be holiness, not that new truck. What else? Anybody got anything else? Service. Absolutely. What else? Being in the house of the Lord. 
All these things are good things. Now think in your mind, those few things that were mentioned right there, are those your desires? Are those your desires or do you have a big list of other things that you're trying to get accomplished, which really they're not desires, they're lusts. And if your desires did not match up with some of those spiritual things that we just mentioned, I doubt that you are delighting in the Lord like you should be. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the third, uh, the fifth verse here and our third point, commit, goes right along and is connected just with that verse about delighting in the Lord and him giving you the desires of your heart. Commit. It says in verse number five, commit thy way unto the Lord. There's trust again. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So there's not only a delighting to make it happen. He'll give you the desires of your heart, but also Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Sadly, the majority of Christians do not commit their entire lives to God. They hover around in the 50% range. Or they give God His day on Sunday, but they live like they want to the rest of the week. Or they hover around the 85% range. Oh, they'll come, they'll come Sunday morning, Sunday night, but they're not involved in any type of service because they still have that 15% to themselves. Most Christians do not live sold out for God. If it was the case, I think most of our ministries, we'd have to be turning people away. We got so many help, so much help. That's the reality of the situation. Most people do not live totally committed to God. The most prayed prayer in the entire world, you know what it is? The most prayed prayer for the Christian. God, I will go anywhere, but not Africa. That's it. Everybody, most Christians have limits. They have limits about how much they are willing to serve God, but that is not a 100% committed Christian. And I don't think that God is going to bring all of these things to pass in our life, all these desires that line up with his desires if we are not 100% committed to him, to his ways, that his ways now become our ways. That we are not going, we're not taking our life in the direction we want to anymore, but we are yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to direct us which way He wants us to go. So commit. Fourthly is rest. Out of all of the, all the points I'm mentioning tonight, this can be the hardest one to do. Rest in the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in the way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Are you resting in Jesus throughout our political turmoil? Are you? I hope so. Are you resting in Jesus in the fact that our enemies, the enemies of darkness are prevailing? When you rest, you put forth no effort when you truly rest. When you're sleeping at night, you're resting. You're not putting forth any effort. Those of you that have uh, different sleep disorders, you know, and uh, a family member that I have just went through some extensive testing because of some things. They were actually, uh, you know, because of breathing and such and different things and snoring and all that that goes along. He was actually putting forth so much effort, he was not getting arrested. Resting is when you literally relax and do nothing. Relax and do nothing. I know when I take vacation, it takes a few days, maybe a week or so before you actually totally unwind because all those things that were in your mind 
that you're focused on and I think, okay, well, I have to do that. I have to fix pastor's microphone. You name it, all those little tiny things that, that seem to cloud our minds. It takes a little time before you can actually go ahead and get some rest, but it's hard to do. I'm worried about America. I'm not going to lie and say I'm not. Does it bother me? Sure, it bothers me. We all, we all do worry about America. And we think to ourselves, well, what in the world's going to happen? We think, well, I don't want my children going, growing up, and we worry that, my, that our children, our grandchildren are going to grow up in America and face persecution, economic collapse, maybe wicked leadership, you name it. You fill in the blank. We're worried about that. We're worried about it. But if I'm worried about that, I'm not resting in Jesus, that he has this whole thing under control. I'm not doing it. No one wants bad things to happen, but we can rest in the Lord knowing that he has our best interest in mind. And by the way, a little spoiler alert, I know the end of the story. I know it gets worse before it gets better. But I know in the end, righteousness prevails. Righteousness prevails and wickedness is destroyed. So because I know the end, I can rest in Jesus. When we read a story, we wait till the end of the story till the plot all comes together. And then we're satisfied. But Christians, we see what's going on in our world today and we can't wait even though we know what happens in the end. I know that God will take care of my two boys. I know. I know. Does that mean they're never going to have hard times? No. I know God's going to take care of me. I know God's going to take care of you. Does that mean there will be no persecution? No, no. Jesus said all that live godly will suffer persecution, so that's just about a fact. But I'm resting in God knowing that he has my best interest and your best interest in mind. Fifthly, we need to cease from anger, verse 8, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Our goal in life should not be trying to destroy the wickedness in high places as Christians. Our goal is not to put a Band-Aid on the situation. We have a, a bigger goal in mind. I'm trying to reach people with the gospel. We as a church are trying to change the world upside down like they did in the book of Acts. We have a bigger purpose than... Uh, than, than simply trying to make sure that everybody gets what's coming to them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. How about this, by the way? We've been forgiven a lot. So before we go pointing our fingers at other people, regardless of who they are, what they've done, think about what God has forgiven you. And think to yourself, there go I, but by the grace of God. When we start thinking, I would never do that, you're deceived. You are deceived. I pray that these people, you fill in the blank, I pray that, I pray that they get saved. I pray that they get saved and they give glory to God and it's a wonderful deal. That's what I hope happens. Hey, I hope they don't have to go through judgment. How about that? I hope that they turn to God and their lives are miraculously changed. 
the second part of uh, verse number eight says, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. The temptation is, well, they're doing it and they're successful. They're not doing right and, and they're getting the upper hand. So guess what? I'm gonna start living that way. That's the temptation, to follow in their steps. God forbid, God forbid, if the children of God start acting like the children of the devil. God forbid. Asaph, I won't read it for time's sake, but Asaph in Psalm 73 goes into detail about how he was struggling with that same battle about being jealous about uh, the wicked. And he says, I almost slipped, but then I remembered their end. Great passage. Check it out if you're not familiar with it. The temptation when I was doing that car detail job was to do a bad job. But guess what? I just ended up quitting instead. (laughs) Hey, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Gave him opportunity, couldn't do it. Hey, I'd rather bow out and not hurt the name of Christ than to be a lazy, no good, no character worker. That's just the way it had to be. Anyway, six, sixly, 25, uh, we'll read verse number 27. Depart from evil and do good. There it is again, and do good and dwell forevermore. Depart from evil. Think about Lot leaving Sodom in Gomorrah, how, how the angels came and said, man, this place is about to go up in flames, get out. And how he left Sodom without looking back. That's what we're doing, leaving this world. Don't scratch and claw and try to hold on to this thing. It's going, and it's going up in flames. We're not going to save it. But again, this world is not our home. So when we see all the temptations that are out there in the world, we should be like Lot and turn our backs to it and never look back because it's only destruction that is behind us. Do not be tempted with evil. So here's the outcome, as we conclude, of the man who trusts God, the guy who delights in the Lord, who commits his way unto the Lord, who rests in Jesus, who ceases from anger and from wrath, and who departs from evil, verse 37 through 40. Let's look at the outcome here of the person who takes those six character, those six qualities and applies them to their life. It says, mark the perfect man. It means you watch him. You watch the guy who's doing these things. And behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. That's what I want. Is that what you want this evening? But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Are you worried tonight about America? Are you worried about what might lie ahead for us? I can't help but think of Romans 8 says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor thing, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we find comfort in the chaos, Gospel Baptist Church? Can we do it? Can we be different than everybody else? Can we be cool, calm, and collected? How can we do it? We can trust. We can delight. We can commit. We can rest. 
We can cease from anger and from wrath, and we can depart from evil. Let's pray, and we'll be finished. Lord, we thank you for these few moments we've been able to look into. Psalms chapter number 37. And I pray that uh, throughout this week that this passage would come up in our minds and that uh, these thoughts, they wouldn't leave us, but they would uh, come into our minds over and over again that we may apply them to our lives. Maybe there's someone out here today that's struggling with something totally different than what the message was about, but you've spoken to them. I ask that you continue working in the hearts and lives of these folks. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.